What's up, gentlemen? Before we begin, a friendly reminder that this podcast is not associated with any church, school, or calling body, and nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official doctrine, teaching, or theology of any church, school, or calling body. We're a bunch of dudes who love Jesus. We love talking about Jesus, and this is where we air out our thoughts, so don't take it as much more than that. I hope that this is edifying for you. Let's get started with the show. What's up, gents? My name is Charlie Ungemach, and you are listening to an episode of the Gird Up Broadcast. Now, the dudes are going to join me in just a minute, and we got a lot of great content coming your way. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you to all those who help support the Gird Up Project here. All of our content at Gird Up is available free to anyone anywhere in the world who might benefit from our message, and we want to keep it that way. But we also have to rely then upon the contributions of our listeners to do so. You'll never see any paywalls or exclusive content here at Gird Up. That being said, it does cost us money to put a show like this together. So if you find what we're doing here valuable and you enjoy the broadcast and you're willing and able to do so, please go to www.girdupministries.com, click on the menu, and select buy us a cup of coffee. That $5 donation goes a long way towards keeping this podcast going and helps us reach and minister to many more men just like you. Hope you enjoy the broadcast today. Let's get to it. Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungemach. We're doing a broadcast tonight. Of course, we've always got Connor Herter. I'm sorry. Hello, oh, Connor Herter. <laughs> Bryce Guzzi. And in the fourth chair today, Keith Brasso. Keith Brasso. Keith, tell us a little bit about yourself. It's like the one minute elevator speech. Who is Keith Brasso? Sure. You got it. My name is Keith Brasso. I'm from Saginaw, Michigan. I'm a senior here at the seminary, and this is my first podcast I've ever done. Looking forward to it. It'll be a good time. I'm just going to go ahead and turn the volume down now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. A little too loud? Yeah. No, you're doing great. Yeah. You're doing great. He's got a booming voice. <laughs> he does. Yep. Awesome. So you just got back from your vicar year. Where'd you vicar? Yeah, it was uh, Barry Mills, Wisconsin in the La Crosse area nice. out, there in, out there in the country. Great time. All right. Awesome. Cool. What do you, what's it like to be back on campus now? What's it like? It's uh, definitely a big shift, that's for sure. Um, it's kind of tough when you're... It was a good year of being out there, getting your boots on the ground, getting some good experience, and then coming back to the classroom. But it's also good because when you get that kind of experience, you realize just how much you don't know and how much you can actually try to learn in one more year of schooling. So it's good to be back, see all the guys, and have one more year of uh, good times. So, Do you feel like you have less autonomy being back in the kind of structure of a school versus making your own schedule more or less while you were vicaring? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's um, yeah, definitely, definitely different in that sense. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, just kind of gives you something to look forward to when you get out. For but sure, for I definitely sure. need that structure in my life. Mm-hmm. So, so that's you know, it's fine. Yeah, I feel like every time I come back from summer break, or even just breaks in general, as much as I don't want to study, it's a relief to be back in a routine. Yeah, oh yeah, it does, yeah, yeah, the routine is nice. Yeah, awesome, cool. You got anything else exciting going on in life at the moment? Um, 
getting married next summer. No, okay, yeah. good. Nobody like you'd be amazed how many guys don't take that bait and are like, oh, nothing going on, and then they get in trouble with their girlfriends. Well, so. you see, that's the thing. I just <laughs> yeah. and and uh, and she understands this. I don't really like talking about myself, but yeah. no, that that thought was looming in the back of my mind. So all right, and now you got now you got a little extra credit because you called her out on the exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. Awesome. That's that's quite a shirt you're wearing. Is that? Tell me more about that shirt. Yeah, no, it's a typical Duluth Trading Company shirt. It's got bears and mountains and pine trees on it. It looks very warm and comfy. It is. You know, we got the fall months coming up, winter coming up. So, you know, you got to... You got to get your winter shirts coming out. Yeah, I broke out the flannel for the first time last night. Ah, oh, flannels are good yep. stuff. Threw on the cardigan of wisdom today. So. There you go. Right. There you go. That's right. It looks good. Awesome. Try to have a flannel for every day of the week. That's kind of my Ooh, philosophy. So. Nice. I like that. Philosophy. That's a great philosophy. I like that philosophy. I also bought two tweed uh, blazers. Mm-hmm. Um, they were on sale at Banana Republic, so they'll come in the mail sometime in the next couple of days. So when we go. come oh, back nice. from fall break, nice. Be ready to. Be ready for fall. Classy guy. Oh, yeah. Well, I thank you. <laughs> I don't <laughs> agree to that too fast. Awesome. All right. Thank you for some shout-outs today. What we got? I guess I'll go. Uh, mine is uh, I want to th- give a thank you to Willis Carrier. Anybody know who that is? Mm-mm. Give you a hint. Um, he was born in 1876 in Angola, New York. Not ringing any bells? Charlie's relative? No, <laughs> his, his older brother. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so this guy, Mister uh, Carrier, he invented the first central air conditioning unit. Oh. So that was pretty. It's pretty huge of him to do that, because now we got AC. So. Yeah. If you're listening, we appreciate you right now. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Willis Carrier. Willis Carrier. Oh, so like Carrier air conditioners. Oh. oh. Can I ask why today was the day? To thank Willis. I was just thinking about it the other day, and <laughs> and the lack how, of air conditioning we have here. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, that's a big part of it, but it's kind of nice. Yeah, that's about it. All right, yeah. thank you, Willis. All right, for my for my <laughs> shout out today, somebody a little bit uh, more modern, I guess I would say, uh, shout out to Cooper Knoll, uh, our classmate, for putting together a uh, what's that called a Quizlet. To study for our isagogics test that we had today, I think they came in clutch today and it helped out a lot in preparation for the test. Yeah, how'd you do on the test? It wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. It wasn't like a full-blown Frederick test or anything like that, but it was. It had its challenges, and of course the the four verses that I didn't look at carefully for <laughs> translation, because in my mind I was like, "There's no way he'll put these on there." They were on the test, and so, so it always goes. Yeah. I know, I know. I should have known better. Luke, oh, it's yeah. like he uses a different. He, uh, just it, he's got a huge vocabulary, and he's gonna mm-hmm. make sure you know it. Oh yeah, yeah. And the yeah. whole story of Elizabeth it, and it, and Zachariah is is perfectly fine to translate. <laughs> I could almost read that one and translate as I was going, and I felt comfortable. And of course, the couple of verses I didn't <laughs> prepare for. For anybody that doesn't know, what is isagogics? So the best way to describe isagogics, from my understanding, is it's. We're basically we're still translating from the original Greek, but it's very wide, uh, wide sweeping translation. So rather than focus really intently on the grammar of maybe six verses like we would do in hermeneutics, it's more let's understand the context and the story that's behind what's going on here. So our assignments typically range between. 30 and I'll say 50 at max verses that we ha- that were responsible to translate but 
that's not reflected in the expectations as far as like quizzes and tests. It's more the content of the stories that's the focus of that class. Sweet. Yeah. 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 And then like, uh, uh, we also do like exegesis and things like that too. Mm-hmm. So, so we have like the large scale, like, uh, going over tons of verses, just kind of helicopter view, and mm-hmm. then we got the ones that we take apart. and Kind of like what you would do in like second grade English class, right, where you're breaking down sentences and diagramming yeah. and all that. So we kind of do it all. Yeah. Cool. Just figured maybe not everybody would know what we're talking about. Sure. So yeah, 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 yeah. Keith, you want to shout out anybody? I would like to give a shout out to my sworn enemy, Robbie Reed, but he's also <laughs> a very dear friend of mine. <laughs> Robbie is a brilliant mind, and him and I get along very well. We keep each other humble. And I want to give a shout out to Robbie for keeping me humble, keeping me honest, and I do my best to keep him honest. So that's my nice. shout out for today. All right. I don't. I don't really remember him from MLC during our time there. I I just must have missed interacting with him at some point. But yeah, he, he's a stoic man. He's, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's fun interacting with him now. I oh, think yeah. he's. I think he's a great uh, part of the seminary well, culture. He absolutely. Is. Well, he's a mower. Well, yes, he yeah. he does he yeah. does. Uh, not pick up in sheep's head when he should. So that's, that's a separate issue, though. We could spend a whole podcast on it. I don't know how to play <laughs> we really could. I don't know how to play sheep's head either, so i got to learn. We'll do it in a meat locker something. We will. Sure. We will. Sure. And we're going to have you some. Teach we, we got plans for that, so there will be opportunities. Right. Awesome. All right. Well, my shout-out today is Connor. I had a little bit of a rough, rough weekend, um, and uh, Connor just kind of talked me out of it the other day, so I appreciate that. Um, just sitting down listening to me whine and complain, and, um, kind of giving me encouragement. And, uh, I also, it's, I've, I've like this weird mix of arrogance and wild insecurity all at the same time. And it's kind of like, it, it's a, it's a weird, soupy, gross mess some, of emotions sometimes. It's just like, at, I'll go from being so high to so low so quickly. Um, and, and I don't know, Connor just kind of balances me out. So I appreciate, I appreciate, appreciate the room over here. I know it's cheesy to shut up. No, it's Connor, fine. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks, man. Thanks for being patient with me. It's totally Thanks fine. Thanks for loving on me. Awesome. All right. Um, we don't have anybody to thank for coffee donations this week, so we beg of you, if you listen to the podcast, think about donating. If you'd like to uh, make a donation, we like to call it a cup of coffee donation because for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help support the ministry we're doing here with young men. If you'd like to support or help fund the work we do at Gird Up, go to www.girdup.com, select Buy us a cup of coffee in a main menu and make your donation there. I feel like we should also shout out um, the guys that did the Schwein last oh, last yeah, week. Yeah. It was a Gird Up <laughs> themed Schwein, which is phenomenal. If you don't know what a Schwein is, it's basically just like a, a kind of like a variety show, yeah, 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 entertainment that the seminarians put on for each other. And the hosts of the last one, um, I don't, we can talk about this stuff, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. The host of the last one dressed up as Connor and I yeah. and sat up in the front of the room and pretended they were hosting a podcast. It was so really, it was really it was, clever. It was, a, well it was an awesome... Like, first of all, love the fact... like Satire, in my mind, is like one of the greatest forms of flattery. Yeah. Uh, and on the other side, they did a really good job of it, and it was yeah. fun. So Yeah, especially Colin did a oh. fantastic imitation of Connor. Right. Everything from rubbing his belly yeah. to, yeah. to like messing with his beard, his beard yeah. all of it. It was so subtle. <laughs> it was so good. It was really well done. I didn't so. realize I had so many mannerisms that people picked <laughs> up on, but yeah, they definitely they definitely threw me yeah. out there. There's also there's skill in satirizing somebody without insulting them, and For they sure. did that really, really mm-hmm. well, yeah. especially Colin. So. Yeah, awesome. And then if you'd like to make a donation, we'll put a link down in 
the show notes below. So far, we've gotten new mic stands, and now we got a new amplifier for our headphones, so we can all hear what's going on. Yeah. And Bryce, you got brand new headphones on as well. How's it sound? Yeah, they're pretty nice. Uh, they fit around my ears well, a lot more comfortable than the last ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at one point, I literally typed into Amazon cheapest headphones on Amazon and then bought them. Um, and so they're still floating around here somewhere, but we've been yeah. able to upgrade since then. So thank you to those of you who have uh, made donations. And uh, if you'd like to support the work that we do, you know where to find it. Um, this week's manly quote of the week is a Douglas Wilson quote. comes from his book, Future Men. He says, we live in a feminist and effeminate culture. Because of this, at best, as a people, we are uneasy with masculinity and with increasing regularity. Whenever it manages to appear somehow, we call for someone to do something about it. That was a little convoluted quote, so I'm going to read it again. We live in a feminist and effeminate culture. Because of this, at best, as a people, we are uneasy with masculinity and with increasing regularity. Whenever it manages to appear somehow, we call for someone to do something about it. Thoughts? I guess the first thing that came to my mind was all the terms people are labeling things with now. Toxic masculinity, mansplaining, all that sort of deal. And in, in my mind, when you sort of just boil down what the culture was in America 50 years ago to now, masculinity was just masculinity. And we're not allowed to be same type of masculine today as back then i'm gonna push back on that a little bit because 50 years ago was the 70s okay 80 years ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but you're not wrong either you're not wrong we're, we're rebelling both against traditional american masculinity but we're also kind of rebelling as a culture against masculinity in general and those are kind of distinct from each other in some important ways so i guess maybe the first thing to ask is is he right is he is he right about the effeminate culture thing do we live in an effeminate culture that shuns masculinity? I would say we're definitely headed toward that, and it's definitely a lot more prevalent today than it used to be. Even 20 years ago in the 2000s when we were kids growing up there, every movie had some archetypal masculine main character, and that was the things that we gravitated to and we looked up to that. You think of like Gladiator or something like that, like that was what it meant to be a real man. But... I kind of took exception to this quote a little bit because I think it's our view of masculinity is skewed as Americans because when we think of masculinity, you think of this kind of like this hard individual that has to not show emotion and and those things. And I, I think that is kind of a negative thing, especially from a Christian perspective, because when you look at what true masculinity looks like as Christians, we look to Christ as our example for that. And Christ wasn't some, you know, frozen person, some unapproachable person or anything like that. He was a gentle individual, somebody that was willing to to uh, to speak to those who might be considered below his station in that culture at the time. Keith, you look like you wanted to jump in there. Yeah, no, um, I was listening to another podcast, actually. It's The Art of Manliness. You've heard of it. Oh, yeah, yeah that's oh, right. Yeah. That's, yeah. <clears throat> so I, I heard a quote on there, so I'll add a quote to this quote, but... I forget the name of the guest, but he said that his definition of masculinity and manliness was the joyful acceptance of self-sacrificial service. Hmm. And that's yeah, exactly what you just said. Uh, oh, the guy that wrote Tyson, John oh, Tyson. Okay, yeah. So he, he's an Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, an yeah. Australian pastor, and it was a really good podcast. But and then he makes the point. He goes, 
you see that most in the person of Christ. Just no. the self-sacrificial love that Christ showed all people, especially when he went to the cross. And when you talk about masculinity today and just what it means to be a man, it's you definitely see that in our culture. It's kind of shifting in the direction of... Uh, you know, becoming more feminine, more effeminate. Mm -hmm. And sure, the culture might be going that way, but I mean, there's another big issue too is uh, in the home. You know, you you realize that it's not masculine or feminine when it comes to raising a family. It's both and. Mm -hmm. You need that father figure. You need that mother figure. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that yeah. that rugged, show-no-emotion kind of person. It means, you know, what God has for men and women the specific jobs unique jobs that god has for both men and women yeah and so. i I, th I think you're i think you're right on the money there and i think the fact that he's saying the culture today is moving toward a more feminine and effeminate culture in and of itself that's an issue for sure we don't mm -hmm. want to deny that like we want strong masculine men but you're watching that pendulum swing the opposite way with young men in our culture today where the people that they're holding up as examples of masculinity, just the two biggest ones that come to my mind right off the top is uh, Andrew Tate and Joe Rogan. And as Christians, we wouldn't hold those men up as good examples of real masculinity because they're all about get money, be with as many women as you can be with, don't show emotion. And those aren't the examples of masculinity that Christ sets for us in the Gospels. Yeah, we do, we've talked a little bit about David Goggins on here, too. Sure, right? yeah. It, it, David Goggins, I hope I'm never like David Goggins. Yeah. Uh, I would love to have that level of discipline, Yeah. but for all of the wrong reasons, right? Um, here, what, what, <laughs> here's a question for you. Is toxic masculinity a real thing? Is there such a thing as toxic masculinity? Bryce, you're shaking your head. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think, well, like we said, we talked about the two different types of like the Americans' culture masculinity and what America's view of masculinity is and the culture shifting to be a feminine society. Since, Connor, you said that pendulum is swinging too far the other way and we're mm -hmm. going towards the feminine effeminate. Mm -hmm. And since we're swinging that way, everything is shooting back on masculinity in, in and of itself is wrong and bad. Yeah. And so the further we swing that pendulum the less we can see of masculinity being a blessing. But it's yeah. got to be that right masculinity, too. Yeah, and when we focus on, you know, the biblical definition of masculinity, it definitely can become toxic if the man abuses his role that God has given him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For example, if the man of the house says to his wife, I'm the head, that means you have to listen to everything I say. I would, I would be fine with describing that as toxic. But you're talking about a completely different thing when you're talking about the culture that we live in. Yep. But I think that it can definitely be abused. You know, not saying that just uh, being a man can is always, like, easy to do. Because you definitely see instances in real life where that role does get abused by many men. And I think, you know, that's something that we can talk about and maybe, you know. Address. Yeah, yeah, address it a little bit. Well, and to take that further and to kind of disagree with Bryce, I would make the argument that any masculinity without Christ is going to, at least to some degree, be toxic at some level, right? It's always going to be toxic to some level if it's not attached to Christ and in imitation of Christ. Because, I mean, one, I, I don't 
deplore the the idea of toxic masculinity because there are a lot of men who are really really toxic and what yeah. else do you call it besides toxic masculinity right toxic men toxic men fair sure. enough does fair toxic enough. men yeah. make it toxic masculinity and that's a that's a discussion we could probably we could probably go down that and chat about that for a while um, but the the flip side of that is like all of the things that make me a man are designed to be of service to me in my pursuit of Christ, right? And so the moment I take Christ out of the picture, the moment I take faith out of the picture and my identity as a child of God, um, yeah, we've talked about the Ben Hamelic idea, right? Son mm-hmm. of a king. As soon as I take that out of the picture, then there is no proper function of my faculties as a male, right? And so all of that is going to be toxic because it's all all going to be, it's eventually self-serving. Mm-hmm. Actually, not even eventually. It's just it, it just is. is inherently self-serving if it doesn't serve the one who is above me. Yeah, and I would I would never want to be associated with toxic masculinity. Some some men might want to, you know, wallow in that in that title of toxic masculinity because they think that that's a good thing. Like they. They want to be associated with the Andrew Tates. They want to be associated with the David Goggins. And there are aspects of what those men teach that are valuable for young men as, as far as like taking accountability, being disciplined, and those type of things. The term that I would want to be associated with would be traditional masculinity. And, again, having Christ as the central focus of what masculinity should be like, that that loving atmosphere, the 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 air of being in control and being a capable individual but still gentle and kind to everyone regardless and you can make the argument that traditional masculinity is deistic masculinity right mm. so you're still subject to an authority even if it's not the proper authority in Christ you're at least subject to some authority somewhere you're not determining what truth is for yourself um and so you've at least got your like base desires and things in check um, because you are subservient to something greater than yourself. So you're at least one step closer to what um, God designed us to be as men, just because you are subject to something greater than yourself. Yeah. Oh. yeah, absolutely. And then at the end of the day, the world can call whatever it wants to call toxic. Yeah, and if, the, if they're going to if they're gonna look <laughs> at the biblical standard for marriage, where God is telling me, as a man, you better love your wife. As Christ loved the church, who loved her and gave himself up for her. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do. And if the world wants to call that toxic, well, I guess I'm toxic then. Absolutely. Yeah, I can get yeah. on that train, too. The idea that a lot of the things they call toxic, and maybe that's why it's so repulsive, Bryce, to be called toxic masculinity, or just even have that label, is a lot of the stuff they do call toxic really isn't toxic at all. It's only toxic to a uh, an ideology that we don't sure. submit to, mm-hmm. right? And so what they're calling, they're calling it toxic, but we don't see it as toxic because it's, <laughs> in reality, it's not. Because yeah. our masculinity is different from That's their masculinity. Sure. True. Yeah. Absolutely mm-hmm. true. Love it. That was a good, good little conversation yeah. there. I oh, dig yeah. it. All right, moving on to Bros with Bibles this week, or this this series here, this <laughs> season, thank you. Uh, the season that we're going through right now, we're going through um, Good News for Anxious Christians by Philip Carey. Of course, we'll put a link to that book down in the description below if you would like to buy it and read along with us. Um, this week, we're going through Chapter 5, Why You Don't Have to Be Sure You Have the Right Motivations. Hmm. Okay? Uh, so the issue at hand here is that Christians are either frozen and not doing anything or are um, racked with guilt because 
they fear their motivations for doing what is right are wrong. Okay, so the first question I would throw out there for you guys is, well, the, the implication made by the chapter is that we don't have to have, um, we don't have to worry about having the right motivations for the things that we do. Do you agree, have, after having read the chapter, do you agree that uh, your motivations don't matter? I disagree, I'd say. Wait, say that again so I can be clear. Do my motivations for doing good works matter? Yes. They do matter. I'd say so. There's a, there's a quote I pulled uh, from one of the sections. Uh, it says, it's perverse to be motivated by the desire to be unselfish. And that sort of goes along with, I'm doing something so that I get praise for it. And so that people see me and see the good things that I'm doing. It's sort of like the Pharisee praying up, like, oh, I thank God I'm not like this poor tax collector. Or, mm -hmm. yeah. And... So that's why I disagree with that statement. Yeah. Uh, well, I love the way he ended that that uh, section of the that section of the chapter. He ended with with he ended it with basically saying, "Don't be the Sunday school teacher who uh, teaches the lesson about the Pharisee and the tax collector." Says, "Now we should all be like the tax collector, not like the Pharisee." And then says a prayer at the end of the at the end of the Sunday school lesson that says. Thank God we're not like that Pharisee. <laughs> <laughs> so the irony is palpable, right? Yeah. Um, right, exactly. So uh, why do my motivations matter then and how so? suppose I'll answer that question with a different question. What should motivate us? Mm. Why do we do good works as Christians? Why do we love our neighbor? Who commanded us to do that? Obviously, it's Jesus. Everything that Jesus has done for me just blows my mind. Because when I think about myself, when I think about my motivations, myself, my motivations are often evil because I'm a sinful human being. We're all sinful. We're born to sinful parents, and our children will be sinful. That's the, and that's the result of the fall into sin. So with this whole thing, I think his point was if you look inward to the self, it's not going to end well for you mm -hmm. because we're all sinful. So when you're only focused on you, when you're only focused on the self and what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. And like he mentioned people that who genuinely are interested in helping other people, they're not even thinking about what they're thinking. They're genuinely concerned about what other people are thinking. And that's the thing about, about self is that it often sways from wanting to do good so that other people notice you. I'll call that conspicuous pride. And then at the same time, worrying about if my motivations are good, then you've fallen into despair. Either way, you're looking and you're focusing on yourself when really ourselves are not who we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on Jesus and what he's done for me. In an even more practical sense, I mean, it, you're absolutely right, but even in a more practical sense, when I'm serving my neighbor, who should I be focused on? Yeah. My neighbor, right? If, if is Well, I have to pull another quote. He says, um, Christian love is really about your neighbor, not how good your heart is. Right? So if I am serving my neighbor and the entire time I'm thinking, you know, wow, how great my heart is right now. Like, oh, look how good I am for serving my... Am I really serving my neighbor or am I just serving myself? Or on the flip side, if I wait until my heart is in the proper place to serve my neighbor, I, I might not ever serve my neighbor. 
right? I, I think a good we we kind of chatted about this uh, kind of offhand while we were reading the chapter, um, but the idea of the, the baby with the diaper, right? Your baby wakes up in the middle of the night with a dirty diaper. Uh, is it more loving to stand in the doorway and wait until your mind and your heart are properly aligned yeah. and you now feel love and motivation? Your motivations are proper. Go change that baby's diaper. And once you're in the proper state of mind and your heart is in a state of love, then you go and change the Or is it more loving to wake up, go change the diaper, and do your duty as a parent? Yeah. Right? Duty, like, as you do your duty. <laughs> you said... You said you said duty and diaper together, and I'm sorry. I, I couldn't. I just. I was trying to like ignore it, but I couldn't. Well, when a Christian does his duty, it's an expression of love, right? And, and we, your heart doesn't always have to be like your sinful heart is going to uh, do and think and say all kinds of things within mm-hmm. you that you aren't going to like, and, and your heart isn't always going to be in the right place. The question is, can do you still have enough love to do your duty anyway? Yeah, that's Christian love. I think the I think the author kind of sums up this whole section really well when he's when he's talking about um, the simple statement "I love you." When you look at that statement "I love you," it's it's a simple statement. It's something we say every day. But break it down. Like, what are, what's the focus of that statement? Are you focusing on I, I, this one right here, this guy right here is loving you? Like, how great am I because I am loving you? Or are it, <laughs> Or is your motivations the subject of that, or the the object of that sentence? There's there's my Greek showing through there, but is it is it the you? That's the thing that you're, so, you're supposed to be focusing on in that statement. It's not the fact that you're the one that's doing the loving. It's the focal point is the one receiving the love, not how good of a person you are for loving, but that you are loving that individual and that person is experiencing your love and experiencing. The duty that <laughs> the duty that comes along with it. Well, I just wanted to say I think the perfect example of this we just went through in Mark was when Jesus and his disciples got away from the crowds so that his disciples could get rest and Jesus could pray and and then all of a sudden the crowds came back and crowded him. This is when Jesus fed the five thousand and he Jesus didn't say, Oh, we need rest. Oh, like not right now what the bible tells us he had compassion for them mm-hmm. and wanted to help them and that is just self self-sacrificial love yeah because he's focused on them you guys have heard of the theology of the cross i'm guessing right i've read the book well maybe maybe, maybe maybe some of our listeners haven't read the book but it's a book that written by professor uh the sainted professor dan deutschlander mm. fantastic book but it's all about the passage uh jesus is talking about being a follower of Christ, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And that's really what the heart and soul of cross bearing is. When we talk about the crosses that we bear as Christians, at the heart and soul of all of it is self-denial. And it's something that you got to do every single day as a Christian because, you know, the whether it be pride, whether it be despair, it just always creeps in. We're just so prone to it. And the thing about these two sins are pride, especially because pride is something that you don't notice. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever heard anybody or have you ever gone to somebody and say, you know what? I really just struggle with pride. Yeah. You never hear that. No. Because pride sneaks itself in 
and it convinces you that there's not a problem. So why confess it? Why confess that you struggle with it? Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about it is, it's so easy to point out and see in other people. Mm -hmm. But yet, in ourselves, we hardly ever recognize it. Despair is a little different because you definitely recognize it. You feel bad and you... You know, you struggle with things like, oh, what, I'm a worthless piece of garbage, you know, but pride is more, feels good. Like, I'm, I'm I'm the opposite of a piece of garbage, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, that's kind of his point, too, in this chapter, where it's, you look inward, and you're going to be in that labyrinth. You know, he talks about how, whether your motivations are good, and even if your motivations are good, the fact that you're looking inward still means that there might be some bad motivation in there, or you're not doing it for the right reason, so... And you just look to Jesus, you know, because he's the one who helps us. He's the one who forgives us. He's the one who did everything for us because we couldn't do it because we're ourselves, us being prone to arrogance, being prone to despair. We had no other option. Yeah. So Jesus took it on himself and by grace, that's that blessing's ours, forgiveness and salvation. Yeah. And it's, it's in that grace that I think the author also makes an interesting point too. It's, it's a lot about the attitude in which you approach loving somebody. It's not a matter of having to love somebody as if it's some difficult task that must be accomplished, but rather it's something you get to do. Like, you get to love people. You get to play a part in expressing our Savior's love to everybody around us, and you should be joyous over the fact that you get to participate in this loving atmosphere. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think also... Um, uh, there was an interesting section called Choosing Life. Did anybody have anything uh, that they took from that in particular? Honestly, so not... I So I, I actually reread that section yeah. more than once, and I honestly can't tell you what he was getting at, but was, I yeah. did take notes. Right? I did take notes on that. <laughs> Keith, you can look at my... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. My I, I observed your chicken scratches throughout <laughs> this chapter, yeah. Um, yeah, but... Uh, so, after I read that section, I wrote down... So, it I was making me think about... Um, like Teaching this to middle schoolers is a challenge. Right? Teaching this idea of selflessness is a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the ways that I have taught it to middle schoolers in the past is simply asking, like, what would love do? Um, and so you can take that in two different directions. You can say lowercase love, like if I really, if I loved this person, what would I do right now, right? So, uh, so and so is ticking me off and he's getting under my nerves. If I loved him, what would I do, right? And the answer might be walk away. The answer might be turn to him and say, look, man, you are, excuse me, look, man, you're driving me up the wall. Mm -hmm. We need to separate for a few minutes or something, right? Um, love also might look at me in the eye and say, hey, you're being a jerk, knock it off, right? <laughs> um, you can also go the other direction and say, what would capital L love do, right? It's basically the what would, what would Jesus do uh, direction. And now, that's not always the, the WWJD bracelets have gotten a lot of criticism over the years, and probably rightly so, because I cannot do what Jesus did, right? I cannot love like Jesus did. I cannot sacrifice like Jesus did. It, it's, it's an impossible standard for me to reach. But it is certainly wise, especially in difficult circumstances, to sit back and consider every once in a while. Um, if my Savior had found himself, if the author and perfecter of the faith that I walk had found himself in this situation, how would he have handled it? It is often a wise thing to think to myself. 
And if I'm supposed to be an imitator of Christ, I ought to do what I believe he would do in that, in that circumstance, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the, the, choosing, the choosing life idea, I, I, maybe you have some more... Uh, That's why I was asking, because it, it wasn't exactly clear to me, and I was just wondering if you had anything well, more on it. More the idea of not being enslaved to like, your inner notions and thoughts and ideas, yeah. right? So I think maybe that's where... That's what why it made me think of the what would love do is because you're no longer asking like what do I want to do or how do I feel or what are my motivations you've already turned that question outward like you were saying with the with the I love you mm-hmm. right my I, I would even twist that a little further and say the focus should be on the verb yeah it's not on the subject which is I it's on the verb mm-hmm. love right and so love is the action word let's get some action here. Let's do some loving. Yeah. Um, <laughs> instead of instead of flipping it on its head and saying, "How do I get something out of this situation?" Yeah. And I think that just, I think the main takeaway from this whole section and answering the question from the beginning of the chapter that it's titled is, "Why don't we have to be worried about our motivations being right?" It's because when our motivations aren't self-seeking, we're not really worried about what motivates us because what motivates us is right in front of us. It's not about what is inside of us that motivates us, but rather the action and the one receiving our motivations, if that's what you want to say. Yeah. Now, I do want to throw one more thing out there. It's a little disjointed from the conversation that we've had, mm-hmm. but I think it's something that we ought to address because we kind of bonded over it when, again when we were talking before the weekend started. Um, but... Like I said, something that, that should probably be addressed is how sneaky this can be, right? Uh, Connor talked a little bit about pride. You talked a little bit about pride, Keith. Um, but like this, this, it'll, the idea of motivations being in the wrong place can really, really sneak up on you. And so as a group of guys who have generally more access to like nonprofit organizations and donors and things like that than a lot of other people do, I think we sometimes see the backside of that more than others will and one of the things that Connor and I were chatting a little bit about is the idea that when people make like charitable donations um, a lot of times like they won't even like it would be a little bizarre to call them out on it but their expectations for being thanked can get really bizarre yeah right and on like on the surface level it seems pretty innocuous right but mm-hmm. what it really is, is exactly what we're talking about in this chapter. The idea that the motivations are off, right? A truly charitable person is going to make the donation or give the gift or you know, make the offering or whatever it is with, I'm not saying with no regard for the outcome, right? Because they certainly will want their investment to be used wisely and so right. forth. Yeah. But when you get into this weird territory where it's like, uh, I want to be thanked the right way. I want to be or recognized. Or I get bent out of shape if I don't get recognized properly or so mm-hmm, forth. Mm-hmm. That ought to be a red flag and a warning sign saying maybe my motivation wasn't in the right place. Yeah. Now, and it's really easy to see when you're the person, either the person receiving charity or the person who's like um, trying to raise money for something or whatever it might be. Um, but, I mean, it's also something that can really easily be seen in, in daily lives. So whether, you know... Um, you do something nice for your, uh, it, <laughs> not to call out the moms, right? And we probably don't have a ton of moms listening. <laughs> but how often do you see a mother who does something special for her children and then makes it all about how yep. loving she is and yep. how dearly she treats them and so forth. And it all becomes a production to feed her own ego right? yeah. and to give her identity. 
That's not about the kids. That's not selflessness. Yeah, or to, or to turn that around back on the dads, the dads that are living vicariously through their children in sports events yeah, and that kind right. of stuff. Yeah, look at all this. I, look, we buy them the best equipment. Right, we put them in right. all the camps. The yep, kid didn't even yep. like playing. Yep, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah that kind of I stuff. think it's the difference between like the celebrity that's donating a bunch of money in order to be recognized on the world stage and the school bus driver who spends his entire career putting aside a large chunk of his salary ensuring that kids would be able to go to college and does it privately without anybody knowing and isn't recognized until he's well into his 70s or 80s you know that's the difference between self-motivation and true motivation on the other person yeah yeah and yeah that's kind of another interesting thought about that too um the work that we're training to do here at the seminary it's can be summed up in multiple words, but I'll use this one. Service. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going into a line of work that involves other people and doing things for other people. Now, just because that Lord willing will have the title pastor someday doesn't mean that each and every single thing that we do is going to be met with a warm, thank you so much, that is exactly what I needed to hear. There's some times <laughs> where we really got to prepare, expect, and yet expect, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Ingratuity. Mm. just people who just say have a good day even though you spent the entire day in the office writing that sermon even though you worked your tail off writing that bible study and yet we do that joyfully because that's what it's about it's serving people with the word of god bringing that good news to people and it's something that we got to expect and also be ready for and not let it get us down yeah. Because, I mean, when you start looking at other people and you start looking at all their red flags, then, you know, it's kind of uh, not really my problem. Yeah. You know, and it's it's really good. I love the way that they do the thank you notes here at the, you know, the thank you stuff. Because that, that's a really good habit to get into. Yeah. Is just, even though they want certain things done a certain way with thank yous, it's just really good to say thank you to people who donate things because they want to support the work of the church and absolutely they're dedicated to it but i definitely see where you're coming from too. oh right no i'm not yeah. uh, no i'm a thank you notes guy right sometimes yeah. i write thank you notes when it's like weird and embarrassing to receive it <laughs> like you know i was like why did you write me a note but i'm still a note writing guy you know write I them like a note it. and just stand it. there as they read it you yes know? <laughs> well, and, then, and then look them in the eye and say did you appreciate the note? Yeah. <laughs> Don't break eye contact whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. My motivations were really good when I was writing you this thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please recognize this. Please recognize me for it. Yeah, and I, I think there's a oh, sorry. Oh, that's you can talk. That's fine. Well, I was yeah. just I was just that's thinking fine. you made a point uh, pointing out us as potential future pastors. Like there is a flip side to the coin that you were talking about too is there's a real danger for pastors to be self-serving in their service. Mhm. And the fact that, like, oh, I'm going to write the best sermon this week so that way these people recognize that I'm the best speaker up here. And, and there is that kind of attitude among congregations. When you get a new young pastor, you go, oh, his sermons are so much better than our pastor who served us faithfully for 25 years, baptized hundreds of children, married many couples here in the congregation. You you begin to forget that the the past the previous pastor also served you faithfully. And as pastors, that kind of what would you call adoration that kind of celebrity status you take on 
as a leader in a congregation can go to your head. And it so a real, easily goes it, to your it head. So easily because it's there's a lot of little old ladies out there that'll pat you on the back and say, It's just so nice to hear somebody speak loudly and clearly up front in front of the congregation. <laughs> and this is this is exactly what I'm writing senior thesis on. Yeah. Talking loudly in front of the congregation. Yes. <laughs> yes. Why you, should, why you should preach like a man. No. Speaking <laughs> loudly in no, love. It's, uh, in case anybody doesn't know, Keith has a reputation for speaking loudly. You have no idea what you're talking about. His first call will be to a senior center for the hard of hearing. Oh, yeah. They don't, they don't sell hearing aids there anymore. They just... We got this guy. Trust me. You're going to love him. Anyway, we interrupted a valid point here. I'm sure. No, no, you're good. But um, I think, I mean, it really hit me that this is a serious issue when I was preaching a sermon maybe a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, you're, we're all in a learning stage of writing sermons, mm-hmm. so none mm-hmm. of us have everything figured out yet. I don't right. care how smart you think yeah, you are. None of us have a clue what we're doing yet. But <laughs> I, I preached the sermon, and I didn't look down at my manuscript once, had the whole thing memorized, and I started. It went right to my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> went right to my head, and then I had the people stand, you know, gave them the blessing after the sermon, and then I had them be seated. And as they were sitting down, the create in me started playing on the organ, and so everybody was kind of half standing, half sitting down, looking nervously back at the organ and then back at me. And then the organ stopped. And then I tried having them be seated again. And then the organ started up again. So I made just a typical rookie mistake. Yeah. And I was just, so I went from being on the top, arrogant. To humble. And then it wasn't humble. I, I was despairing. I was oh, like, no. I was like, I am a piece of garbage. That was just the, that was the most rookie mistake that you could have ever made. So I was, and then I kind of was was thinking later that's both of these are so easy for us to fall into yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. And it was kind of like story. a yeah like a tower moment for me you know yeah yeah, yeah like 30 seconds from the top to the bottom oh yeah it was less than that it was like yeah. 10 seconds <laughs> <laughs> went from one extreme to the other it's so easy to fall into either one and yep. like i was yeah. saying earlier you just don't really notice when pride kicks in mm-hmm. you know yeah. i think just to throw a couple of your guys' points to bring it all together uh, why don't you have to be sure you have the right motivations? It's what Con. What? Sorry, no, I'm sorry, I just came in. Oh, okay. It was what Connor said about looking inward. How you should not be looking at yourself. How you should be looking outward to God and to your neighbor. And then Keith, what you said about service—that Jesus was the perfect service guy. I don't know how you say that. You. He served everybody. I think you said it well. The perfect service the guy. The perfect yeah. service guy. And I feel like that's just, boom, number one takeaway from this entire section. And we brought it all out. And I, I don't know. I just noticed that. I liked it. Awesome. No, that was a good wrap up, too. Um, before we move into obscure tri- Christian trivia here, uh, Bryce, what are you drinking this week? I am still drinking the Lining Kugel's Juicy Peach. Is it still juicy? It is still juicy, but it's the last one, so I'm going to have to get some new beer. All right. Yeah, we're still drinking Staghorn over here. Uh, you used to have a 7 and 7, right, Keith? I did, and now I'm enjoying a Staghorn Oktoberfest. What do you think I, of Staghorn? I like a good Oktoberfest, so I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, and I know I'm a nerd about this stuff, but this is a true um, Munchen-style fest beer. So oh, it's a little go. bit darker and heavier than like your normal Oktoberfest would be. It's a more yeah. traditional beer, kind of sure. like the Shells one. Oh, good stuff, man. Yeah. Awesome. Your bias towards shells. Um, 
See, when I was working for Shells, of course I told everybody it was my favorite beer. It's not. But the Shells Oktoberfest is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Can't go wrong with Northeast either. No. No, you can't. You can't. Fire, I just drank so brick. much of it. Firebrick is the best. Firebrick is also yeah. fantastic. I would, I think, I like them a little bit more bitter, so I would probably go with Northeast over Firebrick, but they are neck and neck. Neck and neck. All right, that's fair. I'll take it. All right, awesome. Keith, you've never done this before, so we've got three questions and a bonus one. All right. right. Uh, you win great prizes such as pride, <laughs> or also despair, if you get it wrong. So mostly we'll despair. see how this goes. Yeah. I'll let <laughs> you know Last at the week end. it was mostly despair. I don't know how these are going to go. It depends on how well you guys know church history, I guess. Here we go. Question number one. Which early Lutheran reformer was killed in battle in 1531? Which early Lutheran reformer was killed in battle in 1531? Wow. This isn't multiple choice? Well, it wasn't Martin Martin Luther. That was going to be my first guess, honestly. I'm kidding. 1531. 1531. Is it something? Is it? Uh, it's a name you you know. Dean Otto's gonna be so disappointed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's definitely listening. Yeah, uh, you're going like through that era right now. No, right we're now. in the early 1900s right oh, now. Oh, okay, wow. so now. Oh, so you close. might get the next one right, but first we gotta first we gotta get this that. one. 1531. I'll give you a clue. What you battle? You do often. Um, I've got it here. It's not even a real battle. Not even a real guy. Zurich. Oh. Germany. Yep. Does the guy's last name start with a Z? It does. Oh, what's his name? <laughs> it's like Zellweg. Uh, uh, it's not Zwingli, is it? Is it Zwingli? Is that your final answer? I'm going to go with it. Ulrich Zwingli is correct. See, look at that teamwork. Yeah, Ulrich Zwingli. Yeah, so Zwingli persuaded the Zurich City Council to mount an economic blockade against the Catholic cantons that prohibited Protestant preachers in their territories. Uh, The Catholic cantons refused to accept passively the blockade and launched a surprise attack on an unsuspecting and unprepared Zurich in October of 1531. Nice. Yep. Uh, Discovered among the wounded in battle, Zwingli was dealt a death blow. So he was not killed in battle. They found him after the battle and then killed him. Oh, boy. Um, Discovered him under wounded... Oh, sorry. Then his body was quartered and burned, and his ashes were mingled with dung. Wow. That's a real insult. They they weren't big fans of Lutherans. Well, he was in heaven by that point, so... (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's true. That'd be really discouraging as, like, one of his followers. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. All right. One for one. One for one. We'll give you credit for that one. Question number two. You just said you're going through early 1900s church history. So here we go. This is a multiple choice question. Oh, huge. Whose 1922 commentary on Romans was described as falling like a bombshell on the playground of theologians? 1922 commentary on Romans. Is that A, Karl Barth, B, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or C, CFW Walther. I'm going to say Barth. Bryce? I'm going with Walther. I'm going to say Walther. No, Connor, you, you should go with that. I'm going to say 
Karl Barth because Karl Barth was a neo-orthodoxy theologian in the early days, and he kind of upset people on both sides, on the right and on the left, when it came to theologians. I'm going to trust the senior. So, I'm going to recant what I said and say Barth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's too early to be Bonhoeffer, right? Yeah. Because Bonhoeffer was a student of Barth far, like 20 years later. It is Karl Barth. Hey. Shout go. out to Dean Otto. Thank you for teaching. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for teaching. <laughs> and then, uh, just in case anybody doesn't know who Karl Barth is, it was... As a pastor that Karl Barth first found his training in liberal theology simply did not translate well into meaningful ministry to the people of his small parish. Those are always red flags when you say meaningful meaningful ministry or uh, did not translate well. Those are always red flags. Uh, His disillusionment with Protestant liberals was further exacerbated when his theological mentors publicly supported the German Kaiser's decision to go to war in 1914. Mm. The Kaiser said that God was on their side. I should thank President Trepto, too, because we literally just talked about this in Dogmatics. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, then the, uh, the, Karl Barth himself said that when he, uh, wrote, when he dug into, well, when he, drove, when he was driven into St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans for answers, he, uh, to his theological frustrations, he discovered a strange new world, which also should mount some red flags yeah. when you're reading a 1,500-year-old book. And you now have revelations that no one else has had. Mm. She always raised some red flags. Unless your name is Martin. And then you can just roll with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Two for two. Let's see if we can go four for four tonight. Here we oh go. Boy. Don't Who, jinx it. Question number three. Who did Peter address? So to whom would be proper grammar. To whom did Peter address his first letter? To whom? Did Peter address his first letter? It's notable because it's different than many others. I don't know that one. Hmm. You, you're the guys who are going through the New Testament right now. You should. Oh, we're not there yet. Nah, you're in the Gospels. Yeah. Does anybody go through First Peter? Anyway? Uh you do That's that middle year. Middle year. Or middle year. Or Second Peter is a winter room, maybe. Maybe. Wait. So there were, oh, so there were a couple Peters, and he wrote letters to them, right? First Peter, the second <laughs> <No>. Peter. <laughs> Can I guess? Well, you could say he wrote it to a whole congregation of Peters. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess, Sylvanus. <laughs> it's a good guess. I don't know why it's a good guess, but I want to be complimentary. It's, it's a good guess. It's yeah. a guy, right? Not a, no, it is not. It's a, it was addressed to elect resident aliens. Oh. Elect resident aliens. Yeah. Yeah. The book was addressed to those who had found their homes in different places like Galatia, Asia, and Cappadocia. The way the question was worded, it sounded like a person. But okay. it's okay. Right. No trick question. Yeah. No, I get it. It was well, the third one. Yeah, you got to. To whom get me collected, yeah. <clears throat> All right. A little more contemporary one then. See if you can redeem yourselves. I hope you know your Christian rock. Here we go. Often regarded as the founding father of Christian rock, although he never officially endorsed the genre... Which 1970s Christian artist released hits such as The Outlaw, I Am a Servant, The Rack That Doesn't Roll, and Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? I don't listen to Christian music. This is going to sound terrible. You said 1970s, and the first thing that came to mind was Bob Dylan, because, but I know that's not it. <laughs> Wasn't Skillet like a... No, they were they, not. They, like there's, yeah, that was like 90s, 2000s, era. yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I'm pretty young yet, so I don't... Yeah. 
But you see, I I do like my seventies rock and roll, but none of those songs Why are in the I do not know no. that one. Is it the Beatles? <laughs> yeah, it was John Lennon. <laughs> John Lennon, yep. Is in an earlier life. Yeah. No. No. No, not John Lennon. It is Larry Norman. Oh, Larry I was going to say that, actually. No, I he was right on the tip of your tongue. Yep. Pretty no much. Idea. Larry Norman. Yeah, if you know him, you know him. If you don't, you don't. Yeah, I don't know him. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's not bad. It's very, like, 70s folksy rock. But it's, I mean, some of them are kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He definitely takes some liberties with the story and personhood of Jesus, but <laughs> well, I mean, he's a '70s Christian rocker, so yeah, that's Kevin. Yeah. All right, top three today. Top three things which are ex- I'm excited about this one. Uh, I always get excited for the top three when Bryce is on. <laughs> that's why we have ones. him on all the time. Yeah. All right, top three this week. Top three things which are acceptable for children to do, which should also be acceptable for adults to do. Right, so things that are not acceptable generally for adults to do, if yours involves but a they diaper. are for children. Okay, here's the thing. We live on a very cool campus. It's very historical. A lot of really neat places on this campus. Wouldn't it be fun to just play a mass game of hide-and-seek? I would love that. That would be so much fun. That's what I'm yeah. saying. That was the it first would. one for or, me. Or sardines. Hide-and-seek. Yeah. yeah. It would. Ghosts in the oh, graveyard. That would be a great sectional. I would. Hide and seek sectional. Winner gets like a quick trip gift card. Or hide something and seek. Like that. that would be ooh, 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 awesome. Yeah. Saying, hide, hide and seek sectional. Yep. Yeah. But we'd have to set up rules that it couldn't like be in the dorms themselves. It had to be outside in the grounds. Or in the basement. Or it had or to be outside. I like the outside. So what about yeah. the woods though? Yeah, that's that's I game. Would, I would say just in the buildings. You say just in Ooh, the buildings. Capture the flag would also be phenomenal yeah. on yeah. this campus. When MLC did capture the flag, I had a lot of fun with it. Oh man. I like that. Yeah. So you going with specifically hide and seek? Specifically hide and seek because whenever I'm around my nieces and nephews, I always like to. It doesn't happen every time, but every now and then we'll play hide and seek in the dark in my parents' basement. It yeah. just takes me back. Yeah, Those for were good sure. times as a kid. You know, for you sure. put blankets and pillows up in the windows so it's pitch black and. Yeah. The best is when you set like off limit zones where like oh you can't hide there and then you go hide there and it takes them like an hour and a half to find you <laughs> or you're, you're like a terrible uncle <laughs> no i know he's with, a real uncle i did That's that with my brothers <laughs> i was like my because i had this bed with like a it was like a captain's bed so you could like crawl under it and in wow. all these drawers and whatever yeah and they would always say all right bryce your room is off limits because you have that bed whatever and we know you're gonna go there anyway i'm like okay sounds good i won't hide there and then i'd go there there was once I was down there for two and a half hours. It was awesome. Yeah. Mine is, one of mine was actually similar to yours, Keith. It was it was just playing in general. Oh, it yeah. Was, it was yeah. just like, uh, because I remember as a, I was a summer camp counselor for eight years. And I remember just like being able to play with the kids, even at 25 years old, was a joy because you don't really get to do that as you get older. And so like being able to play games like Last Man Standing where we'd have all the kids run in the woods and then the counselors would hunt them down with water balloons and me and another guy would be on, me and two other guys would be on a three-man water balloon slingshot and be just lobbing, you know, water balloons in the woods. It was a great time. But since that one kind of got taken up there, uh, I'm going to say eating off the kids' menu. Like the <laughs> discount and like like the food that's offered. Like that, to me, that's one of the things that adults should still be able to the do. The looks I get at McDonald's when I ask them for a toy. 
<laughs> but you always got to justify it like, oh, it's for my niece or it's for something. Yeah. When you're clearly there by yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You just want something to do at the table while you're yeah. eating your Big Mac. I love that. I guess I'll start with the bottom of my list because I'll save the best for last. But my number three was cry and complain whenever I don't get my way. <laughs> I had throw a tantrum on yeah. <laughs> Cause 40% of the time you're gonna get your way a hundred percent of the time if you throw a tantrum or cry and complain or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And until you don't, and then you'll never get your way again. Well no, like I said, forty percent of the time you get your way a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> I like your up. math. Yeah, your yeah. math works. <laughs> What's yours, Charles? Uh, my yeah, my first one was just play anywhere, anytime, anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I was thinking more from the perspective of like uh, especially, so one of the things that I used to always do is anytime we had, the first school that I taught at was a big enough faculty that we had faculty meetings in the gym, and so I always brought a football with me. And so anytime we had breaks, anytime there was a gap, anytime there was any downtime whatsoever, we were playing catch, we were running around, we were uh, doing something, right? And there was a whole bunch of young teachers at, at that school, um, and, and loved it, right? kind of got away from that in the last few years but i don't know i i for a while i was kind of the playmaster, you know like we always had something to do and i just feel like we don't play enough like we just don't like we do goofy stuff sometimes and we have fun and whatever but we just don't play often enough yeah. playing basketball kind of helps you know it's it's similar you know you're playing a game but yeah, I get what you're saying. But it's even funny. well, even like situationally, like when yeah. we're at what what you know when there's a convention in the gym or whatever it is, oh. why can't we like why isn't it acceptable you know for a bunch of guys to be goofing or like why wouldn't it be acceptable for a bunch of guys to be playing hack sack you know out out in the parking lot during right. a break yeah. or something like it wouldn't it wouldn't be unacceptable. You're, but. you're making me nostalgic here because 2020, my junior year here at the seminary, it was COVID obviously so. We had chapel over there in the gym where we could all be six feet apart. And we always had football Friday, which means the seniors would always get there before everybody else. And they'd bring a football and they'd just stand out there. And as people were walking from the seminary building to chapel, they would just throw the football and everybody would just, you're wearing your casual Friday stuff. So you can just sprint and catch the football. And you got professors going for the football. It was uh, it was a breath of fresh air yeah, during that school year. That, that was fun. Be brought back. That's awesome. Yeah, but we can't really do it now because chapels in the normal building, yeah. and you don't have to walk outside to get there. Yeah, it's just uh, it was a oh, precious we, part of that that pandemic. We could, but we'd have to find a way to It'd be pay like, for all the things we break. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Or it'd have to be like right after lunch, and everyone's going out to their different to the different sections on the dorms and that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just, we don't play enough. We should play more. Yeah. What's your number two? My number two. Well, play was up there for sure. Um, specifically, I don't know. I was as a kid, I definitely played with action figures for way too long. Mm-hmm. Like up until eighth grade, I just loved it. You know, and like whenever I see, here's the thing: it's the best part about being an uncle. Or one of the best parts. Are I you trying say. to tell me you don't play with action figures anymore? No, that's what I'm gonna say. Is that when <laughs> when Did I'm playing with tractors? my when my nephews, we'll get the ninja guys out, the GI Joes, and you just get your whole imagination going. You're like, all right, we got these army soldiers who are clearly shooting each other, and then this dragon's just gonna come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the the possibilities are literally endless, and it's that was awesome. Did you ever play the ball game? This is a action figure game. Uh, we had a bunch of these 
little like toy soldiers and everything like we had the little action figure armies and you would we had this long hallway and we would set them up and you would roll a ball and we, the first we one did something different over. we we yeah. played the ball game but it wasn't with action figures um my brothers and i used to play this it was a uh... <laughs> what, what? You would you would you would sit down on the ground and you'd try to roll the ball and hit hit your brother. <laughs> so similar but different. Yeah. Yeah. Same same but different. <laughs> what are you so, dying about over there? For, for my number two, um, I have uh, not planning for the future, and <laughs> and in particular, like I want my summers back. Yeah. Like, I miss not having to sit there and know that I have to go work a job, go work yeah. 40, 50 hours this week in order to pay for future things that, you know, it's all future planning. Every single day, every single moment of, of our lives is just, all right, I have this due tomorrow, I have this due in a week, I have this coming up, I have this bill, and so I just miss not having to think about future upcoming events. Do you remember forgetting what day of the week it was yeah. during the summer as a yeah. kid? Yeah, and you're like, oh, we have to go to as church As a tomorrow. kid? You mean like this summer? Yeah, <laughs> that's that wonderful. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, I feel you there. My my second one is light up shoes. Heelys. We should be able no. to wear. Okay, now. <laughs> okay, I, hold no. on, hold on. We did all some right. research on We did Heelys. some research on Heelys. You can, first of all, they have a couple of pairs that look like basically like Vans. Like they're they're fairly stylish, mm-hmm. right? But they also have some that are they're supposed to look like Air Forces. But they light up on the bottom. Oh, and it's oh, like man. multicolored lights. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, we need to get. Keith, would you get Heelys with us if we all got Heelys? How cool would it be on Casual Friday to just be like rolling into class? I, on tr- your I tried Heelys once. I never got the hang of it, and oh. kids at school took notice. So <laughs> I, I have been I have been traumatized. Okay, but you can be that since. cool young pastor that shows up. Next yeah. Do I look like a cool young pastor? <laughs> you would if you had Heelys that light up. That's fair. <laughs> I'm still gonna push my salvation skaters. The idea, oh, yeah. the idea of of dress shoes, of dress shoes that if Heelys on it. And just being able to like skate out to do your sermon, it'd be so cool. <laughs> so here comes Pastor and he rolls yeah. in on his heels. You just no. see, there's a video of that with a hoverboard. Yeah, it, it was a pastor board. Really? It was a pastor on a hoverboard and his robe like covered oh, the bottom, yeah. so he's just Look, it's no. freaky looking because yeah. he's just yeah. <laughs> moving yeah. in. No. Or like or like the per- processionals we do in like <laughs> with, the, with the with the crucifers and the lucifers. <laughs> like how cool would that be? Well, that's that's the real drive-by yeah. communion. Yeah, you know, you just you're <laughs> <laughs> like halfway through the wine and yeah. kind of just adjusts a little bit. Yeah. And then, oh man. Uh, number threes. <laughs> Hold on, I got to do my number two. Oh. Um, my duty, as it were. <clears throat> so my number two was wear diapers and go to the bathroom whenever, <laughs> wherever <laughs> I want to. Why would you want yeah, to do that? One, the one specific reason. <laughs> oh my! One God. specific reason. But then you're wearing your poop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no. It could just be number one, two. Don't be okay, rash. Then you're wearing your urine. Yeah. Speaking How of rash, that's what you're gonna get if you wear diapers. <laughs> Can you just just hear me out for one second? I'm here, hear yeah, out. I'm here for it. Movie theaters, man. No, I don't want to leave the movie. It's two hours, Bryce. You can't sit for two okay, hours. Second point. Just finish Se- your coke and go in the cup. Second point. That's not the solution I was thinking of. <laughs> Sermons. No. No. I don't want to get up and leave no. in the middle of a sermon. Also, twenty minutes long, maybe thirty. Yeah. 
was going to say 15, maybe 20. That's what I was thinking, yeah. 15. <laughs> I got a small bladder, and I like to stay <laughs> hydrated, <laughs> man. You need to talk to a doctor. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, all right. So that's a good segue into my number three was my mom scheduling all of my doctor's appointments. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just remember being there like a 20-year-old man. I just, I would love that. Where it's just like, Mom, what's wrong with me? Oh, he's, he's, you know. Isn't that basically what an assistant is? Yeah. Huh? Like just your mom. Mm-hmm. But, but you pay her and she doesn't call you honey? Yeah. I mean... Well, functionally, functionally, she does all those things for you. Right? Yeah, good secretary has got the, the the mom characteristics for sure. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure your coffee's full and uh-huh. ask if you need a snack or something. Yeah. She just made scotch or rhubarb and brought mm-hmm. them to the oh, office. Man. You know, I use a scotch or rhubarb. Yeah, no kidding. All right, all right. Number two or three? I got to think about number three because I they you guys have obliterated my other ones. <laughs> Oh, well, my number three is similar to similar to oh, to the first yeah. couple that we had. It's just to be able to speak your mind. Like we tiptoe around each other so much, you know. And yeah. I'm not advocating for being mean or being like socially inept. I'm not advocating for that at all. Um, but kids can just say stuff to each other, and they go like, "Oh yeah, I am kind of chubby," <laughs> and then off they go, right? Yeah. Or like, "Yeah, I do have." You know, a long note, or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Yeah, my so, diaper does smell. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> well, my number one is probably a little bit more Bryce normal. Bryce is going to show up at class one of these days with a little more junk in the trunk than normal. <laughs> like, you know, we're all going to know. Yeah. Peeking out of the top. <laughs> Guys, I didn't want to miss ACA. <laughs> there may be at least one guy in our class that probably could wear one, but go on. <laughs> so my number one is... Picking your nose and eating it. Oh. Eating it? Yeah, dude. Okay. Now, I here's the thing. I was picking your nose. Here's the but thing. There's, it? there's two kinds of people in this world. Are you Pe- that people who pick their nose and people who lie about it. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah for sure. We all do it. Yeah. But we don't all eat it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Builds up the immune system. No, no. it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, it's it coming does. out of your own body. <laughs> That's like saying drink your own urine to build up your immune system. No, but that's different because that's how. How is that different? Because that's bodily fluid. Uh, Bear Gorillas uh, advocates for it. Your your snot is bacteria. So when you eat that bacteria, your body's like, oh, this is bacteria, not good. So it fights it off. Bacteria and poop too. Do you eat your poop after you? Okay, that's different though. How is that different? Because boogers are not poop. This you is said the greatest the bacteria. Factory. You said the bacteria that comes out of your snot improves your immune system. Yeah, because when you put it back through your organ or whatever you call Digestive it, the system. stuff inside you, the body's like, "Oh, that's not good stuff," and then it fights it off, and then it builds your immune system stronger. Is it, it not enough it. that you swallow enough like snot all by yourself? Well, that's like what boogers are. It's dried mucus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So why do you need to pick it out and then put it back in? Plus, second point, you don't have to walk to the tissue box. Oh, There's tissues to, on you your don't desks. Have to find... That's why you wipe it on the bottom of your chair. Yes. Yeah, you flick it. Flick it. Okay. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, we had very different childhoods. <laughs> Clearly. All right. I remembered my number three. It was uh, coloring. Because I just noticed the elephant over your shoulder, over your yeah. Uh, head there. Yeah, shout out to yeah. Anna there's, for there's, coloring me an elephant. There's something very yeah. therapeutic about 
completing a task that simple and you know it, to me it was always a lot of fun and it was my favorite part of art class when the teacher ran out of stuff for you to do the art project got done in five minutes and he's like just color on this piece of construction paper i have a confession to make you still color i discovered today during a certain class Church that history. i have the ability to download coloring sheets onto my ipad yeah and I can color them during class. Mm-hmm. And there's like color by number and all kinds of stuff. No shame. Oh man, no shame at all. Yeah. I mean, until I get caught by the professor. But no shame between now and then. I didn't think and about actually, that. Oh, just wait till they the start listening to the is, podcast. The be- yeah. Yeah, okay, fair. Well, that, I didn't, that's why I didn't specify what class. I think they're more worried about Bryce picking his nose. <laughs> that's and <like>. true. <laughs> no, and eating it. Yeah, yeah they're just sitting. Uh, Br- Do you sit in the back row, Bryce? He sits next to me in the back row. Oh yeah. my goodness. So <laughs> yeah. next time one of your professors like gets con- gets distracted during class you can just assume that he watched Bryce eat a booger and he's like did you really just do that like someday the conference of presidents is going to get together to assign you after you graduate from the seminary and the one piece of feedback on the is like hey great candidate can be sent anywhere dot 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 buddy eats his okay okay so you mean to tell me you've never done that what I was a child. Exactly. When I have we're never talking as about an when adult we were children. Myself, you know, it'd be really convenient if I could just eat this booger on my finger. My bro- my brothers snapped that out of me as quick as possible. They saw me doing that. They're like, "Don't. That's gross." I'm like, "Okay, that's gross. I'm that's not going to do anymore." Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Bryce. Uh, always. He never. Let, you never let us down on these top never, threes. I ever, appreciate it. Ever. One All of these right. days, he's just going to say something so wild that you're going to have to just stop the podcast. <laughs> you have no other choice. We do have a couple episodes that never got published. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We do have a couple of those. All right, any last words on things we should be able to do as kids? That's all Or I as have. adults, I mean, that we did as kids. All right, well, if you have a top three you want to suggest, you can reach out to us. You know how to get a hold of me, so reach out and suggest them. Um, it'd be cool to hear your ideas. Here we go. This week in church, Pentecost 18, our reading comes from Ezekiel 18, verses 25 to 32. Let's find out if I can read today. Here we go. I'm going to zoom in before I start this. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Ezekiel 18, verses 25 to 32. Josh Rachi, I'll have you know, Pastor Josh Rachi, that I'm using the ESV this week. So, Ooh. All right. Here we go. Let <laughs> I got the first word wrong. Do you want Connor to read it? <laughs> Yet. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, for the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he will surely live, he will not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and tre- <sighs> repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. 
I think right off the back, uh, right off the bat, uh, just looking at the final verse there, the beginning of the final verse, everything that he said before this, the Lord does not take pleasure in our punishment. He does it justly because he is a just God, but it isn't his intention to punish us, and it never has been his intention to punish us. He doesn't. He does not enjoy that. But I think you get both sides of law and gospel here. The ones that choose in for themselves to disobey the word of God, those ones are going to be judged justly. And since we're not able to choose to obey God's commands, the only way we can do that is by the grace of God and, and through Jesus Christ. And those people, the ones that have Christ in their lives, those are the ones that will live ultimately. Yeah. yeah it reminds me of a... A good devotional set of books by Professor Deutschlander. Again, I'm promoting his work, but he wrote two volumes called On Giving Advice to God. Because as, <laughs> as humans, we have the tendency to do that, and you definitely see it in this text. People of Israel were accusing God of not being just, and you definitely see that today. You know, people are always saying things along the lines of, you know, God, if, why didn't you just do it this way? Why didn't you just do it my way instead of your way? And it's, you just see that advice giving to God instead of just acknowledging the fact that the Holy Ghost is just a little bit smarter than a sinner like me. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things for a lot of people to do is, is to just take God at his word and trust that he's merciful, trust that he's loving, trust that yeah. he doesn't take pleasure in these things and he loves us and he wants us. To, to repent from those those wicked deeds that he's talking about. And like yeah. you said, that's by the grace of God that we can do that. You know? Yeah, and the arrogance in the statement that, God, mm -hmm. why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do it my way? Yeah. As if our corrupted human minds could even begin to fathom the entire plan that God has for exactly. us. Exactly. Yeah, one of the rules of uh, what's, what's the one of the rules of isogogics, right? If it gets repeated, it must be important, mm -hmm. right? And so, what does he keep? What does he keep repeating? Uh, he keeps repeating, um, "Our way, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just?" The issue isn't that um, God. And this is just more to your point, but the issue isn't that God is unjust or that something's not fair or whatever it might be. Uh, we can have that conversation about being just and being fair, right? It's he's the standard. We don't make the standard, uh, but the issue is that is their behavior, not his behavior. And uh, I, I think the closer we get to a me-centered society, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast too, right? The closer we get to a me-centered society, um, the more important my feelings and my thoughts, or my motivations, or my ethics, or whatever it is, become. And I become a little God, right? I become God. I get to decide, you know, what's right for me or, um, you know, what I deserve or what I get or all those things. Um, and then any sort of arbitrary authority becomes the enemy then because it disagrees with me and I'm always right. Mm -hmm. um, and the moment you flip that into a spiritual realm, right, now all of a sudden I'm God and you are not. And that is a dangerous place to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm essentially making myself an idol to put in that, in that mm -hmm. words. And I think to a certain extent, we do live in a me culture. You know, you always hear about self-love and you do you or things along those lines. And Love yourself first and then learn to love others. Yeah. yeah. I think that the part of the law that strikes me the most is in verse 30, where he says, Therefore I will judge you, everyone according to his ways. 
And it's not just looking, like obviously he addresses it to O House of Israel and saying the culture of your people are not my ways, but then he points out the individual. And he says, I will punish you. I will punish that guy for his own ways. I will punish that one. I will punish him. I will punish her. And whenever whenever I hear that or read that, uh, my mind just goes, how often do I go against God's ways Mm -hmm. in every single way that people don't know about? Who then can be saved? Mm -hmm. It's the same question the disciples asked. Because if we're real, real with ourselves, I deserve to be punished just like he's describing there. But thanks yeah. be to God yeah. that Jesus Christ has taken my sin away. Well, and to that point, a lot of times we have that uh, conversation of like the New Testament God is this loving God and the Old Testament God is an angry God. Mm-hmm. But that's not how this comes. I mean, if you read it at a cursory glance, he sounds pretty angry, right? But you, you really look at what he's saying here. He's desperately pleading with the children of Israel to turn away from their sin and to return to him. Um, and it, it reminds me of uh, Jeremiah 2, where he's saying, here, I'm going to look it up really quick. Find a... Yeah, while you're looking, it's like he's saying, like, this gift is yours. Yeah. It's yours. Why do you not want it? Yeah. Almost. <laughs> well, I can't. Uh, I, it wasn't the, the reference that I was thinking of. Um, no, but the, like the idea of oh, shoot now I, I'm trying to think of where I think it's still Jeremiah um, where he's um, oh, okay well keep talking maybe I'll think of it oh you're looking at me <laughs> well, anyway. yeah um, Bryce you made a good point with verse 30 there um, in the ones that he's judging I think that kind of ties back into our discussion earlier about the the chapter that we read from the book today um just that he's judging everyone according to your uh, according to their ways and so when it comes to what motivates us again if your motivations are self-seeking if your motivations are introspective then obviously he's going to judge you based off of that because you're only seeking to satisfy yourself as opposed to if you're truly living your life as a Christian and you're focused on loving your neighbor, like he is going to judge that still, but in a more positive light in a truly positive light. Yeah. I'm not going to find what I'm looking for, but you look at, you look at the old Testament. Um, you look at places like Jeremiah, you look at places even like Isaiah and you read it from the perspective of like from a, from a Christ centered perspective. What you hear again and again isn't an angry God who's yelling constantly at his people and, and um, like ang- angry and condemning them. What you hear is someone who's a, a, a admonishing his people and begging and pleading them to return to him the way you would with a father who sees his children mm-hmm. stuck in sin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we lose sight of that uh, identity as, as our creator God or whatever word you want to use, um, that is what it means to be our Father in Heaven, right? That's the picture He's painting for us, and not one of an angry judge. So, yeah, awesome. All right, Keith, you're not on social media, huh? No, sir. All right, so if people want to get a hold of you, too bad. Send a letter. I'm send a letter. letter. I'm off send the grid. a letter. Yeah, send a letter to the seminary, and it'll find its way to him eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but Connor, you can be found online. I'm at uh, Connor Herder at Instagram, and obviously Connor Herder on Facebook. Uh, I don't really have anything else outside of that. I'm going to still stick with my email. Um, 
Bryce spelled with an I, at yahoo.com. Also, I guess yeah. Facebook, too. That'd be good. Or a letter. I like that idea. I'll start introducing that. There you go. Well, I'm old school. I'm old yeah. school, so... I like writing letters. Yeah, put yeah. a little perfume on it, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's your Instagram? Uh, Bruce.goose4. I just like hearing you say it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you can find me at Charlie Ungemach on Facebook or Gird Up on Facebook. You can find me at GirdUp underscore B underscore A underscore Man on Instagram. You can find the website at www.girdupministries.com. All those links are down in the podcast notes below. Thank you, Keith, for joining us tonight. Thanks for Gentlemen, having me. Gentlemen, thank you for listening. And uh, go be the man that God created you to be. We'll talk to you next week. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, editing, and distributing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you'd like to contact us with comments, questions, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at any of the links in the description below or on our website. Please consider supporting the work of Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping at our online store, or making a $5 cup of coffee donation at www.girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure you like, friend, follow, and subscribe to Gird Up and all of our guests on your social media platforms and consider leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the Gird Up podcast so that others can find us and be blessed by our content too. As always, thanks for listening. Now go and be the man that God created you to be. We'll see you next time.